Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Summer Succulents. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Summer Succulents. Summer Succulents is a 24-year-old social media influencer from Orange County, California. Ms. Succulents was a 15-year-old high school student when she first started to experience the symptoms of her tick disease. She had the flu twice and became so fatigued that she couldn't make it through a full day of school. She went from being a straight-A student to not being able to comprehend the words in her textbooks. She had to drop out of high school during her sophomore year. Unfortunately, Ms. Succulents was also forced to give up two of her passions, art and makeup. Ms. Succulents saw more than 50 doctors, and not one of them tested her for Lyme disease until she went to a Lyme disease clinic. When first diagnosed, she received IV antibiotics, but recently she feels that her body is too sensitive for treatment. Whenever she tries to treat her Lyme and her co-infections, she ends up hospitalized. Despite this, Ms. Succulents aims to help others through social media and wants everyone with Lyme disease to know that their healing paths may be different, but they shouldn't be discouraged by their journey. Hey, Summer, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. We're really blessed to have you, Summer. We're really excited to have uh, Summer Succulents on our program today. So, Summer, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background? Yes. So... I grew up in Orange County, California, and I currently still live there, and I have a passion for art and just trying to create wherever I can in the world with creativity and positive and have a great like outlook and positivity with life, and uh, yeah, this is kind of exciting to be here. Like, I am so honored to have this you know, opportunity. Summer, it's my understanding that you've always had a passion for art, that this has been a part of sort of the way you've been made, that organically you've always been a good artist and you've always pursued art. So can you share with us how your artistic career began when you were in junior high school and high school? Yeah, I've always been artistic. Even as a little kid, I've always had my own sense of style and I would always dress differently and you know, just have my own sense of spunk. And I got into art with different, different kind of mediums. I first did a lot of computer graphics. That was the up and coming new thing. And I also am a digital artist where I use pencil and paper. And it was just an outlet that I really was drawn to and something that I've always loved. And I was encouraged by my parents and I'm grateful for them. And something that I was really into and especially when I was in um, high school I was the youngest to be in an art class and I actually asked the art teacher to be in it so I was kind of like advanced and yeah it was amazing so that's kind of where I started. Can you share with us when you began to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your tick disease? Yes so pretty much I was at the age of 15, um, 15 and a half, and I was in high school, and I was taking tons of high-level classes. I was a straight-A student, and I loved to just be busy and creative. And I noticed that after I had the flu, like twice, um, especially in February of 2011, I believe that was the year, I had trouble reading textbooks, which was something very like strange because I'm like in advanced classes and I do really well and and I was having trouble even with like math and I'm really good at math and different stuff where I would get to um, lunch and I had to call my mom to pick me up because I was so fatigued. I couldn't like go through the rest of the day and it just progressively got worse and eventually I had to kind of tell her and she asked me to explain the symptoms and my mom was actually nursing school so she now is a nurse but she was going to nursing school and she instantly realized that something was wrong that this was definitely not normal and my not only my behaviors were normal but how my symptoms were presenting was not the normal type. Now, as the symptoms began to develop, did 
did your illness prevent you from pursuing your art the way you had before then? Yes, I became extremely light sensitive. And because of fatigue, I couldn't even go to my art classes. Cognitively, I had trouble. So, you know, with I couldn't read or write anymore. And also art takes a lot of light and concentration. So for me, it I, I couldn't even wear makeup at the time either. And I wore that like all the time, especially eye makeup, very artistic with my makeup back in the day and still am, but even more so beforehand. And I couldn't do any of that. I was in so much pain and it was like my whole world just got turned upside down. Can you share with us why you were unable to wear the makeup that you had worn before? Was it because it was physically painful for you to, to touch your face or was it for some other reason? Yes, um, back then, especially when I first was coming down from my symptoms, I had a lot of pain and pain I never experienced before. So it was physically like painful and also because of my sensitivity, it, my light sensitivity with my eyes, it was like all around just like wearing wearing makeup felt like it just was the worst thing in the world and it was very it just was very difficult and honestly too i've been sick for nine years that it's so hard for me to even remember sometimes all the issues i first had because i've had such a long hard journey to where i'm at now but when i first was sick the license to the and the physical pain, it just became too much. So I decided just to not even deal with it. And I wanted to try to get better, but that clearly did not help. <laughs> I did not do anything. So Summer, when you were in this range of 15 or 16 years old, what were you dreaming of doing for a career? What were you dreaming of doing for your educational pursuits? I have always um, loved, of course, art. So I wanted to become um, like a special effects artist, either for doing makeup, like um, really cool like horror movies, like prosthetics, or even going into like video game design. I totally love video games and all that kind of stuff, or even special effects for movies and like CGI, um, or even like a chemist and to create my own like makeup myself. So did you have a plan to go to a, on a particular educational path, either some kind of a trade school or a particular type of college? Yeah, I most likely would have gone to an art college and then see kind of where my options were from there and see what avenues I liked best or which ones were right for me. So that's, yeah, definitely art college is where I would have gone. So Summer, what did you know about ticks and tick diseases around this time when you first started showing these uh, flu symptoms? Honestly, nothing. Because sadly, on the West Coast, it's, well, by many doctors, as I have gone through over the years, they have said that ticks are not in California, which is a complete false accusation because they are in California. So... I had, I honestly had no knowledge. I was first diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and I didn't even know what that was. So I had no knowledge of anything, anything that could even be related. I have, I did hear of Lyme disease through my biology class, but they made it seem like, oh, you got bit by a tick and then you just get better and that was it. So honestly, they didn't really even tell or go into the fact that it actually could be a chronic illness. So I have very little knowledge. Do you ever recall having been bitten by a tick at any time in your life? No, I've never been bitten by a tick. There have been ticks where I live. Um, my cats used to go out into the yard and they would bring back ticks into the house. And I also lived up in um, Northern California, Santa Cruz when I was really young and we would go and walk into like beautiful forests and I'm sure there was a lot of ticks there. So um, I have seen them, but I never have gotten bit or anything like that. 
I'd like you to just sort of build out for us how your illness is beginning to develop and what impact it's having on you socially. So you, you shared with us that your mom was in nursing school and you and she are working together to try to get a diagnosis. And I'm wondering how this is affecting you with your friends and other family members. As you're getting sicker and sicker, are you losing the ability to interface with your friends and what impact is that having on your social relationships? I pretty much had to drop out of school and I had to drop out of high school and I was a, I was a sophomore. And like in an instant, it was like, I just became super isolated from everyone and everything. And of course, I also was going through a lot and I was really sensitive to light and sounds. I still am, but I've now adjusted to it. But in the beginning, it was very difficult to explain to get people to understand especially family members would ask me like oh you know so when are you going back to school and I'd be like I I can't I can't go back to school and I I can't do certain activities I can't do what I want to do and I would look normal to them and especially because I have purple hair and you know I have my own style still and you know I I don't look quote unquote sick. People really didn't understand what was going on. And yeah, every, every friendship I had, I pretty much lost. And it was, it was really difficult. I, the only really person I have is my mom. Now, were there other family members other than your mom? And I, and I do want to talk with you about your mom a little, in a little more detail, but were there other families, family members who also began to stop interacting with you so that you would feel not only isolated from friends, but also from extended family? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, definitely. I I have a small family and ironically, all my family lives in Orange County. <laughs> so both my, both my, my parents' parents, they both live in Orange County and I would see them less or I would only see them on holidays. And especially when holidays came around, it became very hard to interact with any of them or talk to any of them because they would ask, you know, normal questions like from a high school, high schooler perspective, but I wasn't that. And I do believe it became really hard and I also have an older brother, and he went through his own health issues, um, not Lyme-related. He had a lung surgery and complications, so he really didn't quite understand what was going on, and we became kind of, like, estranged a little bit. So it was it impacted my whole family. Now, as you became more isolated from both your friends and your family, did you begin to doubt yourself? Meaning, did you doubt whether or not you were really sick or that you had something else going on? Oh, I knew I was definitely sick because <laughs> I am a very like passionate, determined person. Like, you know, I knew that something was definitely wrong and I, I knew instantly that some, this was not right. This was not correct. And I would push myself when I would still try to do things. And eventually I had to just kind of give in to my body and what my body was saying and realize that this was not the right path for me. And I really just had to kind of accept, you know, what was going on. So Summer, this disease that has yet to be defined in your life has now taken school away from you, taken your friends away from you, taken your grandparents away from you, taken your brother away from you. It's essentially stripped you of all social contacts. How did that make you feel? It made me feel definitely depressed. I had a really hard time with it and I, I felt very alone. The one good thing was, is I always was online playing video games so I kind of just more you know did that and I kind of just had a lot of online friends and so I kind of you know tried to I guess distract myself with video games and trying to talk to other people but I never really told them what was going on they just saw me a lot more online (laughs) so I was really just trying my best to not focus on what was around me 
in front of me, but really tried to almost go into the online world and get kind of lost in that because no one in front of me really was there. So, Summer, let's talk about your relationship with your mom. I think it's wonderful that she was going through through her nursing program at the same time that you were sick. Uh, and I'm assuming because she was going through what she was going through educationally and you were going through what you were going through medically, it allowed the two of you to develop more of a bond than you had before. Yeah, so uh, funny enough, my mom has always called me her barnacle. <laughs> so we've always been close. And she, right as I got sick, she actually, um, you know, told a lot of people in her classes and a person did bring up Lyme disease, but unfortunately at the time, a lot of the doctors, of course, said, oh, that's definitely not it. So she had a lot of stuff going on at the time, trying to get through nursing school and also have not only one sick child, but two sick, her, both her children be sick. And when I got sick, that was definitely impacting my mom a lot. But I'm so grateful that I have her because she really has become my my voice, my everything. You know, she even helps, you know, re- do research for me. Since the beginning, we've always kind of tackled this as a team. And also now with her extensive medical knowledge, she, you know, is always... <laughs> research books. Whenever there's a book, she always buys off Amazon hard copy, likes to highlight things, you know, really just devil deep into what might be causing it and always just try to, you know, be there and not just like be there to support me, but also be there to support my health and figure out what is the best thing for me. And I, I would not be where I'm at without her. Summer, talk to us about what the doctors were saying when you first started to feel sick. What were their thoughts about what was causing all these symptoms that started to evolve with you? They said that I had chronic fatigue syndrome and they were first like, okay, we'll wait six months and then you'll get better or you won't. And they were, of course, putting it off and I was in the pediatric kind of realm as well. So that was also kind of difficult because a lot of, a lot of, the other testing was more for, you know, outside of feeds, like the adult. <laughs> so like, so 15 and, you know, it's hard because we knew that chronic fatigue, even though some of my symptoms fit, like there was more to it and it just didn't feel correct. And so we were trying to go on to this journey of figuring out, you know, what kind of doctors to see a lot of doctors had no clue what to do with me. I saw a lot of optometrists and ophthalmologists and neuro-ophthalmologists in the beginning because my eyes were so sensitive. I had to wear sunglasses and I still do 24-7, you know, even when I watch TV or do anything. So that was really like, and the fatigue as well, like those are the main two things. Of course, I saw many neurologists, which really... <laughs> I have no idea how to even tackle this. And so they put me on a lot of just stupid idiotic medications like antidepressants and other things that made my symptoms worse. And so at first, it was very much like, okay, yes, you're very sick. And I even saw a, not a psychiatrist, but a cognitive kind of therapy. And they even said that, they could tell that there was something wrong in the findings with my cognitive, what was going on, like between my, my eye problem, my sensitivity, cognitively, they could see it on testing and they could see it. But then, of course, they would also say, oh, you know, maybe it's psychosomatic or something, you know, like she's crazy. Summer, how did your symptoms progress from the time you were 15 as you went through your high school career? Yeah, my symptoms kept getting worse and worse, and I still think that each year they still kind of get progressively worse. I haven't really had a period so far of things getting better. I just have had periods of just accepting the pain and just getting through it. So, you know, I was able to do, you know, some stuff back when I was 15, but now there's stuff that I can't even do now. So I think that it's been hard. I also, before I got sick with the Lyme chronic fatigue, well, chronic fatigue 
symptoms, um, the Lyme, I did get diagnosed with dysautonomia. And so I already was having some issues with my autonomic system. And so that was a whole other component that they kind of researched into was POTS or orthostatic intolerance. And I did get a positive tilt table test when I was, I think like, uh, like 18 around that age. So I kind of had some other symptoms along with it that also got worse. Like my POTS got a lot worse. I noticed I couldn't stand for long periods of time and I would get really, you know, even more sick and just different symptoms would just kind of be heightened that I noticed a little bit before I got sick, but then definitely when I was sick at 15, they just got worse. And that's when doctors really started taking note of like, oh, you might have this or you might have that. And so there more and more diagnosis just kept happening each year that I kind of had my Lyme spiral, as you say. Summer, what symptoms were you experiencing from POTS? Can you talk to us about what POTS is and, and how it made you feel? Yes. So POTS or orthostatic intolerance is pretty much when your blood will pool in your legs and your body cannot shunt it up to your brain. So your brain kind of loses like all the blood and you can collapse. And for me, I would always stand and I would get kind of nauseous and sometimes like really clammy and hot and I couldn't breathe. And I didn't realize that was it because I even felt that at age 13 um, before, you know, age of 15, but then it got worse as I got progressively more sick. And at first, the doctors didn't want to believe me. They didn't believe that I would even have it until they did a tilt-table test. And even during the test, they were not monitoring me. They just didn't believe it. They were thinking that I was, you know, just, oh, there's no way. Like, you're, in a, you're, you're so young. You don't have, you know, crazy symptoms. You're fine. And the tilt-table test came back positive that I did have it. And um, the doctor actually apologized to me, the cardiologist. She apologized because she thought I didn't. <laughs> so it's kind of cardio, it's more about the cardiovascular system and how it just is not quite working correctly. And so I can't really stand for long periods of time. And I usually need to sit or else I'll collapse. So can you talk to us what it was like to have a tilt table test? I think that's something that many Lymies go through and some of us don't mm. really understand what it is who haven't gone through that experience. Yeah. So for me, it was pretty traumatic. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, I was, I was strapped down on the table for quite a long time, a horizontal at first. And then when they um, finally tilted me up, I was tilted up for 30 minutes, but they were constantly doing my blood pressure and I was hooked up to all these machines and usually they have to like push some sort of medication to kind of help um, induce symptoms. But what this cardiologist found is that if you just waited like 10 more minutes after the 30 minutes, sometimes people will actually um, have the POTS symptoms. And so what happened was they waited like an extra 10 minutes and I instantly went into the process of where my heart rate skyrocketed and my blood pressure dropped and I like was in shock and they put me down right away. And I, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I wish they would have just let me like almost pass out because instead my body was in shock and I was of course like crying uncontrollably because I'm shaking and it was like very much like it was a lot and it was a huge stressor on my body and it showed instantly that I for sure have it and that it's something that I think a lot of people with Lyme, it kind of, you know, intersects and it's something too that for the longest time, it was so mild that I didn't even realize it's what I have. Even to this day, like sometimes I need to be reminded to be sitting in a chair because I'm like, oh, oh no, I'm standing for too long. And then it comes on so subtly for me 
that I'm like, oh, wow, I feel really sick. Oh, no, I need to like, sit down. Like, so it, it can be difficult. So, Summer, were you misdiagnosed or diagnosed with anything else throughout your high school career? So, you know, we, as you mentioned, POTS is probably a byproduct of Lyme disease. Were there any other things that you were diagnosed with before your ultimate Lyme diagnosis? Yeah, I would say chronic fatigue syndrome was like the main umbrella or the kiss of death, as we call it in my family, that they kept putting me into that category. And I never really felt like I fit into that because a lot of doctors, once you put into it, they're like, oh, we can't do anything for you. So good luck. And so I feel like that was one of the main ones I was misdiagnosed with, of course, also psychosomatic and conversion syndrome, which is absolutely not what I have. And those are really hard because I know for a fact that I have nothing mentally unstable. I'm a very mentally stable person. And so it felt really um, hurtful to be kind of, you know, just tossed to the side when, uh, when they know something's wrong and my labs come back funky, but they don't know how to treat it because it's Western medicine or because there's not enough scientific evidence or they just don't know. And so then they call you crazy. Summer, unfortunately, many Lymeys do get misdiagnosed with mental health issues and actually get prescribed treatment for their mental health illnesses. Did that ever occur with you where they prescribed you some sort of medication for a mental health illness? They definitely try to put me on antidepressants. You know, and they try to market as, oh, this will help with some of your symptoms, and they just made the symptoms worse. So that's why a lot of neurologists I don't really mesh with because my symptoms, they appear as neuro, but then, you know, nothing, no neuro drug actually helps with them. So I think that it's just it's so hard. And I, I think that that's one of the hardest things is, you know, they, they try to, they try to do good, but then of course they're actually doing more harm than good. And especially with my case, they thought I had anxiety disorder. They thought I had different um, issues, and especially with my collapsing where I have really high heart rates. They thought it was a panic, panic attack episode, and it's, it's not. And I still have had my purple hair and I have tattoos and I look, I look, you know, kind of, I, I wouldn't say normal. <laughs> I definitely have a sense of style, but because I don't look quote unquote sick, they thought I was making it up. So they thought I was, yeah, definitely um, all that kind of crazy. And they would try to put me on stuff and it just would make me feel worse. Summer, do you think your appearance and your gender played a role in doctors suggesting that you were mentally ill rather than physically sick? Oh, completely. I, I would get, I mean, even the, when I first was sick, I, a lot of times it was hard for me to even walk because I would get so fatigued and I would hold on to my mom's arm and I still do those days sometimes when I'm really um, fatigued. And I would get just stares and glares in public. And then also because I wear sunglasses everywhere and I have purple hair, people think I'm a diva or they probably think I'm on drugs or they probably think I'm, you know, someone who's doing bad things and not actually, you know, sick or because I have a handicap placard and I am on disability at the age of 18 and I've never been able to work a job in my life, they they give me looks and definitely especially if the normal outside world was already judging me then the doctors were judging me 10 times more and because i was so young and had symptoms and um they said oh well you'll just grow out of it oh when you are in your 20s oh your, your symptoms will just magically disappear and we knew that was not the case but they, the doctors wanted it to be the case because they didn't want to deal with my case. And especially since I, you know, was not going to give up who I am, which is, you know, my, my style, my hair, what I like and everything like that. I just stay true to myself. And, you know, if they judge me, then shame on them because I knew that there was something really wrong. But Summer, I, I think that's a really important part of the story here that you're telling us, which is 
Everyone mm-hmm. abandons you other than your mom. Your 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 extended yeah. family abandons you. Your your <laughs> yeah. school, your 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 social contacts are gone. Now your doctors are mistreating you and misdiagnosing you, but you stayed strong and you stayed true to yourself. What advice would you give to other folks who are going through this journey about what they can do to stay true to themselves, even though the rest of the world, including the medical community, is doubting you? I would just say is that always try to advocate for yourself. And even if someone like tells you the opposite, don't give up. Keep finding and searching for the correct answer. And you know it in your gut. Like you know when there's something wrong. And you know when a doctor, for instance, would be really nice to me in the beginning. And then I would do lab, like blood work done, lab work done. And then when my lab work came back really puzzling, they then would almost turn on me and then be kind of almost like really harsh and kind of almost mean and judgmental and then call it like psychosomatic. And just always remember of how you first were treated and then how quickly it changes when someone feels like they do not know or they feel like they're stupid because they don't understand it. And that makes people almost like lash out and always remember that it's not you. It's just the other people not understanding and you will find someone that will eventually understand. And it might take many, many doctors and years and different test trials and different connections, but always try to, you know, just be yourself and, you know your body more than anyone else and just really you know focus on stuff that makes you happy and just keep reminding yourself of who you are and try not to get lost in other people's opinions because your opinion matters the most so let's talk about now your senior year in high school so let's fast forward a little bit and 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 talk about that point in your life did you now at that point decide not to go to college because your illness has progressed so much and, and focus full-time on, on your health? So I actually had to drop out of school when I was 15. So my sophomore year, I could not complete it. I got so sick that I had to drop out. E- even though I was in art gallery and everything, I had to drop out. And so I had to get an IEP, um, which is a special uh, kind of tool to kind of show that I do need special help with school and almost be sort of homeschooled at that point because I couldn't read or write anymore um, for my junior and senior year. So I had an IEP, but I still could not do the work. So again, my mom, she literally did everything for me. We would talk and she would write out everything or I couldn't even read. So she would read everything for me. And she literally like, I kind of joke about it, but she dragged me along to get my high school diploma because unfortunately I was so sick and there was, you know, the school was not going to help. There's no no one, nothing no one can do. Doctors weren't helping. There was just honestly just trying to get by. And I actually um, was hospitalized when I was 17 and it was right before my senior year in high school. And I got a, a dose of IVIG and that actually did help me enough to go back to my senior year for one month. And it was really weird because I dropped out when I, you know, in sophomore year. And then I came back and everyone was like shocked and they were like, what happened to you? And I came back and I had to wear sunglasses. And that was, of course, everyone was really weird to me. They were like, take them off. I'm like, I can't. So that was strange. Um, But I tried my best in school and then I got sick again with just like a cold or flu and I had to drop out again and I had to go through the whole you know just struggling and just trying to um you know really have my mom just do all the work for me and just at least get a diploma because um I still cannot read textbooks or write to this day and then that being said I I could never do um college unfortunately because cognitively it's way too much stimulation and also I was never able to drive either so it's just I just got cognitively just messed up like it really messed up everything 
Summer, let's talk about your, your ultimate Lyme disease diagnosis. Can you walk us through what made you or your doctors finally think Lyme disease and what that was like to finally get a diagnosis that actually made sense to you? Okay, so um, my journey is a little interesting. So I, for the longest time, you know, doctors would not test me because, of course, they didn't believe ticks were in California. Um, or they did test me and it would come back as like negative because the tests weren't sophisticated enough or, you know, my Lyme wasn't, I guess, showing at the time or, you know, it was still there, but it just, it wasn't showing. I actually was in a chronic fatigue support group and I met um, a lot of amazing people through that. And I was the youngest there. <laughs> like everyone was at least 10 to 15, if not 20 years older than me. And, um, but I didn't care because I just, it was nice to have other people who kind of understood. But through there, I met a, an amazing woman, and her name is Linda Tenenbaum. And she worked with doctors, and they created a foundation called Open Medicine Foundation and also the Open Medicine Institute. And there I met a doctor, and I was in a CDC um, case study for pediatrics of chronic fatigue syndrome, but I also um, went up and saw a doctor at the same clinic when I was really, really sick, and they were focusing more on chronic fatigue, which, of course, overlaps with Lyme, and they did Bartonella testing on me. They didn't, I, they might have done Lyme testing, but I think they really went more for the Bartonella testing first, because I do have the um, striations on my back are as it looks like um, weird like purple stretch marks at first and I still have those like scars and they actually found Bartonella in those stretch marks in other patients and my Bartonella it was cultured out and it came back positive so that was a huge kind of victory of like okay yes I do have some sort of tick-borne illness and also I've had active uh, mycoplasma for years, and that's another co-infection. So after that, I was getting treated for the Bartonella, and I was really, really sick. And then I think because I was on such high doses of antibiotics, I kind of stirred up my Lyme finally. And finally, um, just two years ago, I, I got like a for sure positive diagnosis. So it's been quite a journey. It took me like you know, seven years to finally get like a positive, like concrete, like, yes, you have Lyme. What I'm a little confused about, Summer, is they tested you for the Bartonella based on, I guess, their, their clinical observations, but then didn't test you mm -hmm. for the Lyme for a couple of years. Why did they wait so long to test you for the Lyme disease when you clearly already had another tick disease? Is they, I think they did test me for the Lyme, but it wasn't cultured. It just was a basic test. And so none of the testing came back positive, or I think only a couple of the bands came back positive. So they didn't think that it was concrete enough to say I had it. But the Bartonella's was a more intensive test where they actually cultured it out and they actually sent it to a special lab on the East Coast and it actually was like cultured out uh, with several days and it was a very expensive test. It was very specialized and that was more of like, I guess, their focus at that specific clinic. So you had your, your Bartonella diagnosis, you ultimately get your mm -hmm. Lyme diagnosis. And what, what I'm now interested in exploring with you is how that changed things for you socially, meaning did you now have the ability to speak with your friends and tell them what was going on with you? Did you have the ability to now speak with family members who were no longer being supportive of you to let them know what was going on with you and now make it clear that you're not a crazy kid, that you're somebody who's physically ill? By this time, I had so many different health issues and I also was already in the social media world kind of explaining my health issues through my YouTube channel, Summer Succulents, just like all my social medias, that I already was kind of talking about my health journey online. And even though I didn't have the Lyme diagnosis, I always said that it was suspected I probably had Lyme disease. So I did finally say, look, I finally have it. It is a relief to have it, but it's also like a blessing and a curse because 
like, oh no, like I actually, I do have this, like, you know, and there's not really a lot out there to really cure it or if it even is curable. And so I would say that with family members, they knew I was sick, but they still did not know why. They still did not understand like how deep, especially chronic neurological Lyme actually is. And that's when honestly I would tell them to go watch like documentaries. And then I think they sort of got it, but it's hard, especially my grandparents, like they still don't get it. It's still something that's kind of foreign to them. They would almost, they would get more of like when I would have episodes and I'd be in the hospital because I collapsed or have different issues like that. They would understand more of those symptoms, but still the Lyme to them is just, you know, old information or old facts that they've grew up with. So it still is kind of difficult to explain to people unless you're actually like physically around me daily. Summer, now that you, you finally have been diagnosed with Lyme disease and two years prior you were diagnosed with Bartonella, can you walk us through what mm-hmm. your treatment plan was at this point? Yeah, so after I got the um, cat scratch Bartonella, you know, I had a pick um, inserted into my right arm at home with uh, a mobile pick company called Big the Pick. <laughs> I know, kind of interesting, but that happened. And because the doctor was in Northern California, which was like nine hours away from me, he kind of prescribed all the um, very high dose antibiotics. So um, I was on IV antibiotics for extended period of time, also oral antibiotics. And I got um, very, very sick. And that's when after um, that first episode, about like four or five years ago, I started collapsing and I would try to walk a few feet and then I just would get very tachycardic or my heart rate would speed up and then my blood pressure would drop and then I would collapse. And so that became very difficult because then after trying to get treated with a Bartonella, my body has now been very difficult with any treatment. I recently found a clinic closer to where I live about two years ago, and I've tried different treatments, IV treatments, oral, you know, antibiotics, different things, and my body will not tolerate it. And I go into this kind of crash collapsing mode. And that's where I'm at now is we don't really know why, but my body's having a very hard time with any form of treatment and it kind of goes into fight or flight and then I can't even walk or function. Summer, have you tried any alternative treatments like potentially using an herbal protocol? Yes. So um, I have been treated for SIBO with herbal um, antibiotics. I know that's not really Lyme, but I have been treated with like herbal antibiotics and that made me really sick. Um, I have tried hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and that was supposed to help, but it it didn't, unfortunately. I've tried high-dose vitamin C. I've tried um, PC, phospholacholine. I think I said that correctly. I've tried many, like, yeah, herbal supplements to try and break down the uh, biofilms of the microbes and Unfortunately, I keep having a really high lactic acid and ammonia buildup, and then I'm hospitalized. So I've definitely tried many different therapies, and my body just kind of gets to the point where it gets too acidic, or there's something going on where it just cannot metabolize whatever's happening, and I can't do it anymore. Have you tried anything to help alleviate your symptoms while you're going through this up and down and this journey to figure out what's going to work best for you? So have you tried anything like potentially CBD oil to alleviate your symptoms or Alka-Seltzer Gold, which is an over-the-counter product that could help with some of your symptoms or anything like that? No, I haven't tried because I, I don't really have like any like pain pains. So I haven't tried CBD oil um, and I haven't tried any of that. Like honestly, like nothing's really even helps with my license to be pain that I still have today. I just kind of, I kind of just deal with it. I really just, you know, I kind of just realize, okay, I'm going to have pain. It's going to 
be painful and I'm just going to keep living and keep doing what I want to do and live throughout my day. And really it's more about my mentality of it, of being, you know, positive and realizing this is my new normal. And that's when I got back into wearing makeup again and I started modeling and just realized, okay, like this is going to be a lot for me and I'm probably going to need to like rest like for a whole week, but I'm going to just go out there and still try and live my life. And I'm okay if I have some, you know, ups and downs and, you know, there hasn't been anything to alleviate that I found, but that's okay because at least I'm still doing what I love and that gets my mind off of it at least. Well, Shama, can you talk to us about how this experience has transformed your art? Not just bringing you back to art, but how your art is different now as a consequence of having gone on this journey. Yeah, so before I was able to do like traditional art, painting, you know, sketching, drawing, portraits, and all that. And then um, I couldn't because cognitively and (laughs) again, my eyes, it just was too much. It was sensory overload. And so I kind of then um, went into doing something called lip art, where you paint, kind of paint on your lips and you take photos of it. And that's, that's really my, kind of my first dip my toes into social media and Instagram. And I also just started taking photos of like outfits I wore because people love my style. And then from there, I became too sick and I couldn't do lip art anymore because it just was too much strain on my cognitive ability and everything else in my brain. So then I kind of just turned to modeling as a creative outlet and now I've been published four times in magazines and I work with photographers and sometimes I also do photography with my dad and I will edit and you know just do what I need to do to the photos to creatively make it my own and I express my art through myself and how I dress and what I do and kind of what photos I take. And that's, it's kind of shifted into more of self-expression than actually creating. I do miss creating art a lot, but it's so painful that I have to just kind of realize that, you know, it's just, it's not something I can do anymore. Summer, how has the internet community responded to you, the social media community responded to you, and has it surprised you that you've gotten such a positive response to your self-expression and channeling your art through self-expression? Yeah, so, you know, for the longest time on social media, I really kept things about, like, you know, I first started off with, like, being a lip artist and, you know, made it about that and everything, but I always stay true to, like, making sure my images were never photoshopped or anything like that. I really wanted to be authentic. And then when I got into YouTube, I thought it was really important to kind of sort of explain why I might be wearing sunglasses or a lot of my photos I wear, you know, sunglasses and just try to explain where I was at and just almost tell my story. And I have reached and talked to so many people around the world about you know illnesses and about my illness and about what they're going through and I always try to document like if I'm going through a hard time what is happening I always try and let people know and I've gotten so much like amazing feedback that it's like very heartwarming to know that like I'm not alone and I always tell people that they're not alone and that they can get through it and I've had so many people tell me how much of an inspiration I am to them and just, you know, to see someone like me, you know, in a wheelchair and taking photos in a wheelchair, for example, um, has really inspired others to not be afraid to share their um, handicaps or what they need. And even though I, you know, don't always need a wheelchair, I do need it to, you know, get around and, people don't quite understand that. Like, you know, I think, oh, you know, only people who are paralyzed in wheelchairs, but that one small thing, and for me to share that online was huge. Like people had no idea. You know, I think also too, it's something to physically remind people of how sick I am, but also how strong I am too, and also how strong other people can be. And so I, I get, you know, people reaching out to me, like, uh, like almost daily, you know, with, either questions or you know just how 
much of inspiration I am or how strong I am or just how much it's helped them get through stuff. And that really makes everything. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm still on social media, posting, doing all these super important things to really just bring light, not only to Lyme disease, but also people who are struggling and might not even know the answers and just be like, look, you know, we all have our issues, but just don't give up. And that's really why I keep doing what I do and why I love to do it. If tomorrow a, a close family member of yours or a close friend of yours came to you and said, hey, I've just been bitten by a tick, what would you recommend that they do so they don't become as sick as you become? I would say definitely to get it checked out immediately and to, of course, go right away to see someone and also get educated. There's so many resources and also just be educated and really go to a Lyme literate doctor first and just, you know, kind of, I mean, of course, people are probably have to go to their primary care physician, but if that doesn't work out, then keep fighting for your health rights. And, you know, especially if your symptoms, you know, progressively get worse and you, you don't get better, or you get more fatigued or you realize you can't do as much as you did before don't just let that stop you. Like keep trying to find answers because sometimes, you know, there could be underlying illness or other issues that happen and those could also be contributing. So I definitely would recommend just get on it as fast as you can and don't wait. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Summer Succulents. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Summer Succulents, please visit our Instagram page at Summer Succulents. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.